please stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 43. And if the children would like to come down to the front, we welcome you to come here in the front for this first part of the service. Which, As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Please, please sit down. That was the reading from God's Word, and I invite all the children to come up front for this first uh, five, six minutes of the service, if you'd like to. And any of you teens that want to come up, you can come too. Some portions of my section here were taken from this amazing book. Um, it's called Heaven, How I Got There, or Got Here, The Story of the Thief on the Cross. My character this morning is the second thief on the cross. The author is Colin Smith. The second thief snatched from the gate of hell to the joys of heaven. I am a thief. I stole things. I stole things that didn't belong to me. This is a, a, a precious gem and these are necklaces and I was a thief and I stole something from someone else. I know the scripture teaches that thou shalt not steal. It started with just a little theft, and then I took another thing, and it grew bigger and bigger until one day I was caught. Now I am sentenced to die on a cross for my sins, for the things that I stole, and I know I deserve this death. I am guilty, 
What lies before me is a horrible thing, a horrible death on the cross. My shame before my family is a huge weight upon my heart. How many people wake up in the morning knowing that this will be their last day? How many people wake up in the morning and know that that breakfast is their last breakfast that they will ever have for the rest of their life? Well, that's how it was for me. That was me. I brought death and destruction onto myself. Oh, to be able to go back and change my actions. What I feel now is hopelessness and regret. Ahead of me is darkness. It feels like I'm living a terrible nightmare. Hope. But hope came. Hope began for me in Jesus' strange words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If Jesus could forgive those who were torturing him, those who crucified him, maybe there was hope for me. A glorious window of hope emerged before my eyes. Forgiveness was scarce in my home, and my mother taught me that, that this world was governed by morals and a legalistic way. If you did good, everything ended well, but if you did bad, you were in big trouble. If, if any of us honestly measure our lives by the Ten Commandments, I suspect we will come to the same conclusion that we fall so short. Reaping what you sow is not good news for any of us. Forgiveness is. Forgiveness is. If Jesus remembered me when he came into his kingdom, there might be some hope for me. If he took an interest in me, it would not be because of anything I had done or anything I could offer. If he remembered me at all, it would be an act of undeserved mercy and kindness. But that was exactly what he offered to the soldiers, to those who crucified him. He showed them mercy and kindness. Would he do the same for me? I asked him to remember me. Why did I do that? Because I began to realize that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And I began to fear God. I began to realize his majesty, his awesomeness, his holiness. I recognize my sinful con con condition. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong, and I'm very small, and God is very great. And I trembled next to him as I saw him on the cross. I asked him to save me, and this is something you can do too. You can ask Jesus to save you, just like the second thief on the cross asked Jesus. I placed my life in his hands, and all that I had, I gave it to him. My hands outstretched to his hands outstretched. I believed him as my Lord and Savior and King. Clinging to life by a slender thread, I gasped for breath and waited for him to respond. When I looked into his eyes, I saw joy and enthusiasm. I saw love and kindness. He looked at me and he said, Tonight, today, I will see you in paradise. I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, joy. The Lord had forgiven me, and he had welcomed me into his kingdom. He snatched me from the gates of hell to the joys of heaven. Death does not lead us to a long separation from God or into a period of unconsciousness. Death does not lead us into a long process of being prepared for heaven. For the friends of Jesus, death is an instant 
translation into the presence of God. Instantly, when Christians pass, we are brought into heaven. What, a, what an amazing reality. Entrance into heaven is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But you can receive it. A man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. A man is not, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, children, you can go back to your moms and dads. morning. Um, it's good to be back. Um, so I'm going to give the perspective of the Roman guard. And let me read from Matthew 28 verses 2 to 4. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and was go and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. As I lay on the ground, immobilized by shock and fear, I wondered, who were these white beings? They shone like bright light and had such a powerful aura around them. Then the last few days started flashing before me. And, grit, and dread started to grip me. What have I done? I, have I wrongly accused and have taken part in the crucifixion of an innocent man? This man was so different. There was something so pure about him. He certainly did not deserve to die, much less the humiliation and mocking me and my fellow guards heaped on him. Woe to me! The purple robe, the crown of thorns. I was the one who picked the twigs from the bush and made, and made the, the crown. I thought it was so funny then. I so much wanted to be part of the group, to be part of the brotherhood of the guards. But I should have spoken up and stood up to all that. But I was afraid. I was so afraid of my peers. I wanted to be accepted and be part of the, the group. Then when they nailed him to the cross, I laughed and smiled when the crowds taunted him. I, I am so weak. I should have just walked away and not joined the crowd and just focus on what I was supposed to do. But I did not. I stood there, and I was part of the crowd. I had followed the story of this man with intense curiosity since a week ago when he entered J Jerusalem. He was the talk of the town. Although I've never been a religious person, my parents brought me up with good values to know right from wrong. This Jesus was special. He had a sense of mission, and yet the words he spoke of were full of wisdom and compassion. 
All I heard was the good things he had done for the people. Certainly he was not evil or a criminal, and certainly he did not deserve to die in the most cruelest of ways by crucifixion. As these thoughts flashed before my mind, I felt my fear receding, and my mind started to focus. If he is indeed not here anymore and risen, and indeed what are standing before me are celestial beings, is it possible that what this Jesus, this person has been saying is actually true? Is he really the Son of God? I, need, I needed to find out more. I need to redeem what I've done and also ask forgiveness from this Jesus. I have to look for him. So oftentimes, do we feel and identify like the Roman guard? You know, as we walk in this world, are there things that are we feel that we're part of the pressure um, of the group in work uh, with our fellow colleagues, with our peers? Do we feel that we should, there are things that we should have spoken up or stood away from? It's never too late. It was never too late for the Roman guards as well. Certainly not, as is not recorded by scripture, but certainly church tradition has it that after the Roman centurion and the two guards, it was believed that they also turned and became Christians and followed Jesus after being witness to this miraculous uh, resurrection. And they, they were martyred for their faith as well, according to the church tradition. Thank you. I come to you today as Mary Magdalene, one of the followers of Jesus. Time, time heals all, they say, but they don't know this type of pain, this darkness, darker than the midnight night sky, darker than the storms, the thunder that crackled the night that my Savior died. Just try to imagine what I've endured, for what? something great and yet to come, I'm almost sure. The stabbing pain, confusion, and shock lingers from when I was told Jesus had been arrested, beaten, and mocked. I stood feeling horrified then, to say the least. As I watched him hang on the cross, call out to his father and his spirit he released. The sound was deafening as the curtains tore, the rock split open and the sky roared. Those who watched cried out from fear and grief. How could anybody know him and walk away in unbelief? The darkness washed over me then, like nothing I'd ever known. And I had known some darkness before I knew him when I was alone. I remember, though not clearly, those days of possession, those days when I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. Those days were harsh, dreary, and bleak until I met Jesus and I heard him speak. He spoke words of healing and my demons, they fled. To him I committed my life and I allowed myself to be led. He became my teacher from whom I trusted and learned. I wanted his words to spread and be heard. He gave me hope and taught me to love. 
You ask, how can hope and love be dark? It's dark because it now feels crushed at the bottom of my heart. I did all I could, and now he is gone. But the sun is starting to rise, the Sabbath is over, and it is dawn. As a small glimmer of light reaches up into the sky, I reach down into my heart and hold on to the love for him on which I must rely. I gather my things for the anointing and start my journey to the garden for an unexpected divine appointing. I walk up to the stone, consumed by my duty, completely unaware of the garden's beauty. To my surprise, I look up then to see, what is this? How can this be? The stone was moved from the tomb. I can see inside the empty room. The darkness now seems chilling, not to mention unending. Question after question begins to fill my mind as I look upon his linens folded neatly for me to find. Who would have done this? How is this possible and why? I quickly run to tell Simon Peter and the disciple Jesus loved, and we bolt back to the tomb to search for our teacher. As I stand in the garden then, trying to process this extraordinary sight, my eyes are filled with a blazing light. Simultaneously, the pain begins to creep away. In the midst of the confusion, hope begins to grow on this glorious third day. As my eyes adjust to the display, the two men standing there speak and tell me, do not be afraid. My body begins to shake in disbelief. I, a woman who was once possessed by demons, am now in the presence of angels. Me? Why me? They ask me, why do you look for the living among the dead? And then I remember what my Lord had said. He would be handed to his enemies, his blood would be shed, but on the third day he would rise from the dead. I remember, but I still do not understand, as my tears become too overwhelming for my hands. Still in shock and disbelief, I lean over the tomb to take just one more peek. And then he speaks. This voice of authority, calm and power, speaks over me, behind me, through me. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? I turn slowly, unsure. See a man and think, this must be the gardener. Maybe he knows where my teacher could be. Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him, I plead. He pauses, smiles, and with one word, Mary sends me stumbling to him, falling forward. In that instant I knew, for only our Lord speaks with such authority and such compassion towards me, just like the day he set me free from the seven demons that held power over me. I shout, Rabbanai, as I fall into his arms. The feelings I feel are expressed through my cry. He is truly my savior, I cannot deny. My love for him soars beyond what I imagined was possible. My hope in him has been restored. At his feet, I must be docible. How could I have known who he claimed to be and yet let myself be consumed by that darkness, crushing my joy and causing my hope to flee? I'm sure I don't understand it all now, but I know that my teacher is my Lord and I will follow him without asking why or how. He instructs me to go tell the others, his brothers, and, tells me, and tell them that he is ascending to the Father, my God. With this commission, I am given a new position. Yet again, his words have made me new, and I know he will be with me to help me see this through. I set off to tell the others what I have seen, but it doesn't end with them. So today I tell you, I have seen the Lord alive with my own eyes because he declared that from death he would rise, and now I am beginning to realize all that this implies. The prophecies have been fulfilled, and our hopes have been reinstilled. For when the curtain was torn, we were given... 
given the chance to be reborn. Salvation has been offered. We can all be sons and daughters of the Father. So I will put aside my fears, refute my doubts, and reclaim my tears. I will put them all aside so I can declare that he is near and salvation is here. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Remain standing for the reading of the word. This uh, passage occurs on the day of the resurrection. And after the reading, I will be in the character of a disciple named uh, Cleopas, who is one of the two mentioned here. Luke 24, 13 through 17. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Right there, pricking under the nail-shot remembrance. You, you can sit down. This is not scripture. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so this is Cleopas. Right there, pricking under the nail-shot remembrance. Not forgotten, buried wounds. You just heard us tell it. No, what stung us stopped our walk, was fleeting, vanishing moment of memory. Anytime we'd been so blessed to be a blissful, carefree, ignorant tourist. What is this of which you speak? You must be the only guest that's without an imprint. Where did you hole up last week, keeping feast beneath the ground? Shielded from the shouts and rumblings, midday darkness, daughter's wailings? Had your hopes been raised so high, still aloft like Zion's mount? Brought back nation's king in triumph, riding on a colt with shouts? Three days it's been since those hopes were dashed upon a tree. Today, no shock, no after Sabbath's waking, pinching away denial's dream, but third day dragging on, drama-less, goes on and on, unchanged, tragic play with no scene marked exit. Rumors inadmissible, angelic hearsay, kicks up dust and ashes better left alone. The dust, the final dwelling place, they say, was robbed its latest tenant. Our ears informed, our eyes denied. We're heading out, as are you, it seems. There's nothing left that Zion holds for the ones who look to him. Would you care for a bite to eat? He came and stayed with us. And along the way to Emmaus, this stranger, well, I have to say he was a little off-putting at first. Not only were we taken aback at that he seemed to know nothing at all of the things that had just happened in Jerusalem, he also called us foolish and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. 
But we had just lost our master, our rabbi, our friend. And then this stranger calls us foolish and slow. But we gave him a chance. And well, it's like a veil was lifted. He opened the scriptures to us, showing how it all pointed to the fact that the Messiah would have to suffer and to enter his glory. And so the agony of loss or the numbness of despair began to be replaced with a, with a burning, yes, a longing and a hope reborn. Oh, our hearts burned from this message, but we didn't recognize the messenger until this. He broke bread, and we saw him. He did something we do day by day, the most ordinary thing in the world. And there he was. His body had been broken for us. He is the bread of life. We had looked for a conqueror. He came as a servant. We looked for a sword, but he was the one pierced. He was broken, and he came to us and was present with us in the ordinary, in the breaking of bread, the daily thing that fills our bodies. He is the one who fills everything in every way, and we will gather at his table. Good morning, everybody. I want to thank God for each of you here today on Easter Sunday, and I wanted to say it brings me so much joy to be here with you guys. For the fifth and final perspective on Easter, we'll be looking through the eyes of Thomas the Apostle, or better known as Doubting Thomas, found in John 20, verses 24 through 29. I'll read it real quick. Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his sides, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God, then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You guys can be seated. Thomas is used here to contrast two attitudes. Thomas himself is the cynic, the skeptic, unable, refusing to believe the rumors. And Christ challenges us to be the faithful, willing to believe the impossible. Thomas didn't so much doubt as he did simply stop believing. You have to understand, his relationship with Jesus and Jesus being alive were the same thing. He couldn't distinguish the two. But the good news for us, the truth of Christ, the truth of Easter, is that our relationship with Jesus has already conquered death. 
Something else we can learn from Thomas is the desire to make your faith your own. The desire to experience Jesus firsthand. We live in a world where it's too easy to experience Christianity vicariously through your friends, through your parents, through church. And for all the shame Thomas might have felt afterwards, you can't say he didn't long for Jesus. You can't say he didn't desire to experience Christ. The last thing Jesus said to Thomas was, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those words reference both the prophets that came before Jesus, that never saw him, never saw his works, but they also reference all of us. All the Christians that came after Jesus, that never got to walk with him in Galilee. Because the type of faith the type of faith that it takes to find truth without clear evidence is a greater example of the power of grace. Thomas longed for Jesus, and he didn't believe this was possible. And though Jesus rebuked him, he also showed him tender love. May we also be shown that same grace that Christ showed Thomas, and may we also have that same longing to experience Christ that Thomas had. I have a skit here that we're going to do that gives a depiction of a conversation Thomas might have had about this passage. Wesley can come on up here to help me. Oh, where's the other microphone? I need the second one. Thank you. Got it? Mm -hmm. <coughs> I'm playing Thomas. I mean... I just don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Tell me what you don't understand. I've never been cowardly or fearful. I mean, when we were supposed to go to Bethany to heal Lazarus, the other disciples, they were scared of a stoning from the Jews. And I said, let's go so that we may die with Jesus. But then when they told me that in that meeting Jesus appeared to them, my master appeared to them and said, peace be with you. I knew it couldn't be true. Why? Because I had that peace. I knew that perfect peace before my master died. And then it was ripped away from me. I'd given my heart. I experienced everything firsthand with Jesus. And now the disciples, they call me doubting, doubting, but I'm not doubting. You have to understand. When my master died, my relationship died with him. What was there left to believe in? What was there left to believe in? There was nothing. My master was the one who could raise the dead. So when death took my master, who could save him? So you didn't believe the others? Of course I didn't believe them. I mean, if I'm supposed to give my heart again, if our relationship is supposed to conquer the grave, I need more evidence. I have to experience that firsthand. But then the days passed. Six days, seven days went by. I started to worry. I saw I was causing the other disciples to start worrying too. I thought I could be right. Maybe my Lord was dead. Maybe they were just rumors. And then what happened? We were upstairs in the upper room. I was with the disciples. It was seven days after I'd shared my worries with them. We had the door locked as usual. We were worried about trouble with the Jews. And that's when it happened. What happened? My master appeared. I don't, I don't know how. 
I don't even know exactly when, but all of a sudden, I was before my Lord. I don't know why Jesus waited seven days to reveal himself to me. Maybe it was to rebuke me in front of the other disciples. I know I deserved that. Maybe it was to show me grace. I know I absolutely did not deserve that. But when I heard the words, peace be with you, I knew that everything I thought was wrong. But you have to understand, I wanted to see for myself. I had to know it was you, Jesus. Then put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. My Lord and my God. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 